Welcome into RealPod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Andy Anders on what is certainly a somber week in Columbus as Ohio State is coming off of its third straight loss to Michigan, 30-24. to Ohio State has now gone four years without winning a game against Michigan. Ohio State last defeated the Wolverines in 2019, which was Ryan Day's first year as head coach. The 2020 game was canceled due to COVID-19, and now, three years in a row, Michigan has defeated Ohio State, which it, it would have been hard to imagine the Buckeyes being in this position three years ago, because for so much of really the first two decades of this millennium, Ohio State was the dominant team in this rivalry. Once Jim Tressel took over in the early 2000s, Ohio State had a ton of success against Michigan. Ben Urban Meyer took over in the 2010s, and Ohio State continued that dominance against Michigan. But now we've seen here over the past three years, this rivalry has completely flipped to where it went from Ohio State controlling this rivalry to Michigan controlling this rivalry. And the good news is Ohio State didn't get blown out this year. The bad news is there are no moral victories in the game. And while Ohio State was able to keep the game competitive, it had a chance to win even as late as the final minute of the game. Ultimately, Ohio State did not do enough to win this game, the game that uh, we all consider to be the most important game of Ohio State's season and a game that likely make or break Ohio State's college football playoff hopes and Ohio State uh, now sits waiting hoping that a bunch of results break this weekend and that it will somehow get into the college football playoff but uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that later but you know most likely Ohio State is not going to be competing in the college football playoff this year and and most likely Ohio State is going to go a third year in a row without completing any of its major goals which are beating Michigan, winning the Big Ten, and winning a national championship. Yeah, it's strange, Dan, that you, uh, you, know, you mention how long it's been since Ohio State has had a win in this game. They haven't won since I was in college. I, I attended Ohio State from the fall of 2016 through the spring of 2020. Ohio State went 4-0 against Michigan in that time. My entire lifetime, I know nothing but dominance over Michigan. Uh, I wasn't even born yet. Uh, the last time Ohio State had a losing streak this long to Michigan uh, from 1995 through 97. I was born in 98. So just really, for me, it's it's so strange to see how much control Michigan has taken in this rivalry. We'll see how long it lasts, of course. But for now, this is a game that I'm sure aches the hearts of a lot of Ohio State fans out there. I know it ached the hearts of certain family members I have that are still diehard Buckeye fans. Uh, my brother who's a junior at Ohio State currently, is now 0-3. He's seen the Buckeyes go 0-3 during his time there. So just a lot of uh, new trends in this rivalry, new things. But yeah, Ohio State, for all intents and purposes, pretty much eliminated from the playoffs with this loss. Um, this is now going to be an Ohio State team that is going to have to do some self-reflecting in the offseason. And we'll get more into those 
big picture items. Uh, but focusing just on the game itself for a moment, Dan, you know, we both predicted Ohio State to score exactly 24 points. That's how many they scored. Uh, but we expected to get better defensive play than the Buckeyes had. Not as bad in the last two years with the big plays, Michigan scoring more than 40 points in 2021 and 2022. They just didn't get off the field in the second half uh, without giving up points. Four drives for Michigan where it wasn't kneeling out the clock, scored on all four of them. And one of the three field goal drives they have might have been the second biggest thing to seal the game after Rod Moore's interception. You take seven minutes off the clock, drive down the field and kick a field goal um, against an Ohio State defense that was starting to look very tired. Uh, So my question for you is this, Dan, you know, after last year's game, the talk with Jim Knowles was that he blitzed too much and that surrendered some big plays. He was too, considered too aggressive. Do you feel he was too conservative against Michigan this year? Yeah, I think it's a fair question because I think in the second half of his game, you, you look at the results. Michigan had four full possessions, not counting their kneel down at the end of a game after the game ceiling interception. Michigan scored on all four of those possessions and Ohio State just wasn't able to get off the field. It felt like uh, the defense was a little bit soft and that Michigan was was able to control the game when it had the ball. And so, you know, I think that is going to lead to fair questions about whether there was an overcorrection from Jim Knowles's defense in this game and if they needed to come up with something else uh, late in the game, try something different than what they were doing in order to make a big play and get off a field. Because, you know, I think when you just think about this game as a whole and you think about what are the things that swung this game in Michigan's favor, I think probably one of the biggest things you're going to look at is Michigan had two takeaways. Ohio State had zero. And one of those takeaways, when we talk about you know, the defensive performance in this game. We have to talk, first of all, about the first of those takeaways, which was Kyle McCord throwing an interception that was returned to the seven-yard line. You, you can't put those seven points on the defense because they were put into a, a terrible position. They actually almost came up with a goal-line stand, uh, forced a fourth and goal, and then Michigan was able to score from the one-yard line. But you can't put that score on the defense. And so when you when you take that into consideration, you know, that you know helps, you know, the perception of a defense in the game a little bit. But, you know, like you said in, in the second half, you know, they they just weren't able to make the stops that they needed. And so, you know, that that's certainly disappointing based on how well the defense had played all year long. I mean, we said all along, you know, this was going to be the biggest test for the defense. And and granted, you know, all, all that said, like the defense was better against Michigan this year than the last couple of years. Like I, I, I don't come out of this game saying they lost solely because of a defense that that was not the case this year. Um, you, you could say that for the last couple of years, it was not the case this year that they lost solely because of the defense. But the disappointing thing is as well as the defense had played all season, as dominant as it had been, it, that didn't end up translating to the most important game of the year. And so, you know, while the stats for the year are still great, I mean, Ohio State's still ranked as a top three defense in the country for the year, the moment that people are going to remember 
for this defense is the fact that in the biggest game of the year, it couldn't get off the field in the second half. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if aggression is the answer. It's hard to know. It's just hard to make that judgment without seeing exactly how much they blitzed um, in this game. I, I, I can recall a few times they dialed up some pressure. There were other times they didn't. There were times they got pressure only sending four as well. But generally, Dan, you know, we, we just didn't feel the impact of Ohio State's defensive line and linebackers as much as we have in other games. Uh, Tommy Eichenberg has played great all year. I think it was clear that he wasn't at 100% in this game. At times, you know, he had an arm injury, and it looked like he was tackling with one arm at times. He missed a couple of key tackles, made a uh, touch a tackle that saved a big run at one point as well. You know, not to say it was all bad from Tommy, but not the standard of play that we're used to from him. The defensive line really wasn't making that big an impact other than, you know, I felt Mike Hall played pretty well, had some plays where he got some pressure, forced McCarthy into a sack that was kind of cleaned up by Jack Sawyer. You know, I but generally the front seven, front six for Ohio State wasn't as effective in this game as we've seen them be in others. And yes, you're going up against a really good offensive line, who lost its best lineman, arguably, in the second half. Uh, but you have to play up to the occasion in these matchup games. And the defense didn't get the stops you needed uh, in the second half there. You combine it with mistakes from Kyle McCord, or just really one big one in the first half there, especially that set them behind from the eight ball. And then maybe some other coaching decisions from Ryan Day that we'll discuss uh, more in a bit, uh, and, and it's enough that in a matchup game like this, you know, the other team's going to come out on top. Yeah, I mean, in in a game like this, it, it can all come down to a couple plays, and that's and that's a thing. I mean, that's that's a thing about it is you know we we have to sit here and analyze all the things that went wrong in this game, and that's our job. That's why you're listening to the podcast. But realistically. Like this game was a couple plays away from Ohio State could have won the game. And then our conversation today would be completely different. And so, you know, I think, I mean, if you're Ohio State, you're going to sit here and you're going to analyze every little thing that went wrong because this game was so important that, you know, you have to look at what, why didn't it work out? Why weren't we able to make enough plays to win this game? But I think it's a little bit harder to boil it down than maybe it was the last couple years to where, you know, you 2021, you could just look at, yeah, they couldn't stop the run. They couldn't run the ball, like period. Like that's why they lost in 2021. Last year, you could look at it and say they gave up five huge explosive plays that completely changed the game. Like the last two years, it was really easy to boil down why Ohio State lost this game. This year, it's not so easy. This, this year, it's more a matter of, you know, they just needed – you know, they, they needed the defense to make another stop or two. You know, they needed the offense to put together another drive or two. You know, they just needed, you know, they needed to not make a mistake here or there. You know, it's more of a little things that wouldn't have cost them in the first 11 games this year, but it did cost them when playing against a Michigan team that's one of the two best teams in the country. Yeah, Dan, you know, I completely agree. These This isn't a game where you have one thing to point to, and there's both a comfort and a sort of a worry in that. You know, the comfort is, 
hey, there's not one big thing that cost us that's a huge glaring flaw that this program needs to fix. The flip side of that is, of course, well, now it's a lot of little things and how do you address a lot of little things, you know? I think another thing, you know, was this offensive line had some inconsistencies again. You know, you talk about the first interception McCord threw and it was him not seeing a cornerback that was biting on a slant route to Marvin Harrison Jr., picks it off, sets up Michigan in a goal-to-go situation. McCord's second interception really wasn't on him. It was a breakdown in pass protection. He gets hit as he throws, and it looks like Marvin Harrison Jr. is open on the play, and it's going to get Ohio State inside the 25-yard line on a drive that can still win them the game at that point. And then the ball flutters in the air, and that's how Rob Moore intercepts it. You know, Ohio State, and, you know, you, you, this podcast is about calling attention to specific plays sometimes. And this was a play where Donovan Jackson came up short, a player who coming into the year you thought might be an All American for Ohio State at guard, had his ups, had his downs this year. Um, he got run over by Michigan's defensive end on the play. And that collision is what caused McCord to throw the interception. Now, I'm not, I'm never going to pin a loss on any one player. You know, obviously, we've talked about the litany of other things that cost Ohio State this game, but that was another, and it speaks to a larger lack of consistency that we've seen throughout the year on the offensive line. You know, something I wrote about after the game, Ohio State only averaged 3.1 yards per carry on the ground in the first half, really outside the one drive where they ran it eight times in a row to cap for a touchdown and tie the game at 17. The last time they hit pulled even with Michigan, or I guess the only other time outside when it was 0-0, right? Um, they never established a ground game outside of that drive. Maybe some minor successes here and there in the second half of the first half, they really struggled to run the ball. And there were some other lapses in pass protection. McCord took a sack. He came under pressure several times. Just not the standard that the offensive line needs to be at for Ohio State. Uh, and, you know, we've talked about it all year. It was the greatest concern for the team um, throughout the season. And it came back to bite them in a couple of big moments in the game. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it before the year started, like what were going to be the three things that were going to determine the success or failure of this season for Ohio State. It was going to be Kyle McCord, the offensive line and and whether the defense could take that next step. And I, I think. When you look at this game, I think all three of those areas were just a little bit not good enough. You know, none of none none of those specific areas were horrible. Like you said, it's like there's not this is not a game where you can you know it's it's not even just us trying to like shield a player. Like it's just I I really don't think you can come out of this game and like pinpoint one player or one ping and say that's why Ohio State lost this game. It it wasn't that kind of game. It's not like there was one clear liability that got exposed time and time again it was just that all all you know those areas together were just not quite good enough for Ohio State to win this game and to your point earlier about you know where that's you know comforting or worrying I mean I think to me I think it makes this loss a tougher pill to swallow because I think you came out of the 2021 and 2022 games and it was like Okay, it's obvious this is an issue. We need to fix it. Whereas I think you come out of this game, and I, I don't, I don't think there's an obvious answer that we can sit here right now and say this is the thing Ohio State needs to fix. If it fixes this, it'll beat Michigan next year. 
I think it's just a matter of just in general, they need to they need to be better. They need to execute better in these big games. And obviously, a lot of that does start with Ryan Day. It obviously it all does come back to Ryan Day. And so, you know, unsurprisingly, Ryan Day is getting a lot of scrutiny after this game. I think in particular, the decision that's drawn the most scrutiny was the decision he made at the end of the first half when they threw a pass to Kate Stover. It set up a fourth and two. There are about 40 seconds left on the clock. And instead of trying to run a play and get a first down, keep the drive going, and potentially either get a shorter field goal or a touchdown, Ryan Day decides to settle for a 52-yard field goal attempt, which Jaden Fielding missed. Ohio State goes into the locker room down 14 to 10 with Michigan getting the ball back to start the second half when Ohio State could have potentially made it 14-13 or maybe even made it 17-14. Now, in Ryan Day's defense, like I'll be honest, like when I was sitting there in the press box watching the game, I understood why he was making that decision because I think, you know, that drive started deep in Ohio State territory. I think you go into that drive thinking, but one thing we can't do is give Michigan the ball back and give Michigan a chance to extend its lead uh, b- before halftime, knowing Michigan's going to get the ball back. Now, that mindset should have changed when Kyle McCord steps up through the pocket. Again, we, we talked about Kyle McCord's mistake. You know, I would say probably his best play of the day was late in the first half. He steps up through the pocket, throw, throws a deep ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. Marvin gets tackled by Will Johnson, but still makes the catch through pass interference. That gives Ohio State a chance to score. At that point, the, the switch should flip and you should get more aggressive and you should really be thinking trying to score a touchdown, but at worst, trying to get yourself as close as possible to give Jaden Fielding a more makeable field goal. Instead, you settle for a kick that would have been longer than any he's made in his Ohio State career. That doesn't, that doesn't work out. I, I think that's certainly one decision that's getting second guessed from Ryan Day. And I think it just generally contributes to the narrative that Ryan Day has been too conservative in this game. That, you know, you, you watch this game and you see Michigan do a lot of creative things offensively with an offensive coordinator who's serving as acting head coach for the day because Jim Harbaugh is suspended. You see Michigan pulling these tricks out of a bag, things that it drew up for this specific game, and you see them work. And then with Ohio State, really on both sides of the ball, you just didn't see that in this game. You you didn't see plays that looked like they were drawn up for the purpose of beating Michigan, you know? And and it feels like it's kind of been a trend here with Ryan Day and Ohio State in this game that it feels like they're playing not to lose more than they're being aggressive playing to win in this game. And it's obviously not working because they are ultimately losing the game. And so I, I, I think, you know, that's really the biggest question, you know, that, that surrounds Ryan Day coming out of this game is, you know, there was all this talk all year long about, you know, playing looser, playing more aggressive, playing to win. And then in the biggest moment, it just didn't show up. Right. And it was that in the, uh, he had a fourth and one too, that was a near midfield, um, punted on 
in, in this game as well. And you saw Michigan going for it consistently anytime they had a fourth and one almost, uh, you know, as long as they weren't pinned deep in their own territory. This It's been a general trend, like you mentioned, talking about this being a little more conservative in your approach. I'll admit with the fourth and one punt in the press box, I even said, you know, I agree with the decision uh, because at that point, your defense was still playing really well. Ohio State's defense did have a pretty strong performance in the first half as a whole. Michigan really only had one long sustained scoring drive. The other touchdown it got in the first half was obviously off the interception. Uh, So I agreed with that first decision to punt. I did not agree with the one before halftime uh, just because I felt like, you know, fielding 52 yards is a range that has not been tested in game for him. He's not, it's not like you're trotting Mike Nugent out there, someone who's, you know, just a 52 yarder is confident in. And there's not a lot of college kickers that you're confident in from 52. So, really, just that situation, if. I understand not wanting to give the ball back to Michigan in that situation, but the fact is you have to go out and win these games. And like you said, it feels like in certain scenarios, Ryan Day is coaching not to lose. And he talked about the need to, he's talked before about the need to be aggressive in the offense, but it hasn't shown in the way that he's decided these fourth down calls. If you want to play trestle ball and try to win that way, uh, you might need to structure the program a little differently. But if you're, you're, you're wanting to push the pace, push the action, put some pressure back on Michigan after you've fallen behind in this game, maybe consider going for it on those fourth downs and trying to get more points. Uh, and again, again, I understand you still had a shot at the field goal there, but you should be able to convert fourth and two. That's the other side of this. The fact is that it felt like Ryan didn't trust his offense to get one yard when they needed it, to get two yards when they needed it. The short yardage inconsistency has been a thing for this team for the last couple of seasons. And Urban Meyer used to say, you know, if you can't get a yard, you don't deserve to win the game. There's a little bit of truth to that. You know, it's yes, you're rolling the dice a bit, but hey, you have to sometimes. And just not taking those chances when his offense presented the opportunities to him. Yeah, and I think that goes for both sides of a ball, right? Because you look at when Michigan was in those short yard situations, like you mentioned, they were going for it. Ohio State's defense wasn't getting the stops. And that was a change from what we had seen in previous weeks from this Ohio State defense where, you know, we've seen it, you know, Notre Dame game, Penn State game. You know, we saw Ohio State coming up with big stops on third and fourth down that helped Ohio State maintain control of a game. But that didn't happen in this game, at least not in the second half. And, you know, you combine all of that together. uh, That's why Ohio State ultimately ended up losing in this game. Staying on the point of Ryan Day, you know, I think, you know, now's probably a time to talk about, no, Ryan Day isn't getting fired after this game, nor do I think that Ryan Day should be fired after Correct. this game. I do think it's fair to question whether Ryan Day is going to be able to get this thing turned around and, and get to that standard that people expect Ohio State to be at. Based on the fact that, you know, if you now look at his record in 
five years as a head coach. If you look at, you know, against Michigan and in the college ball playoff, which is the biggest games you're going to play in at Ohio State, he's just two and six in those games. And I think you, you can look at what's happened in some of those games, and I think you can say, you know, I know I think, you know, one thing Ryan Day has done really well, you know, better than Urban Meyer is that he's avoided the pitfalls. He's avoided the losses in games that Ohio State should win. They, I mean, he's, he, he hasn't lost any of those in terms of the games against opponents that Ohio State has a clear talent advantage over. You know, Ohio State consistently wins in those games. And I think that's something Ryan Day's done really well at is not allowing those letdown games to happen. I think the, the question is, when you get into these games where talent is comparable, those are the games where Ryan Day and his staff seem to get outcoached. And not always. I mean, certainly, you know, you look at the 2020 Clemson game as uh, probably the biggest win of his career as a head coach, as an example. I think you can even look at last year's Georgia game, even though Ohio State lost that game of an example where Ryan Day coached a really good game and the team rose to the occasion against a team that, you know, people you know, pretty much universally considered to be better than Ohio State and went on to win the national championship. So it's not every game, but if there's been enough of it now to where, you know, it's certainly fair to ask those questions. Now, why am I asking those questions and still saying he, he shouldn't be fired? Well, for, for one, who's the clear upgrade out there? I mean, you know, they're, they're not getting Nick Saban or Kirby Smart. So who, so who else is Ohio State going to go get that is going to immediately make this program better than Ryan Day? And I know there's some people who hear that and they don't agree with that way of thinking because, you know, they just think, you know, you got you know, you, you to take a chance or they think we're Ohio State should be able to go get anyone we want. But, you know, I, I still I still believe Ryan Day is the right coach for this program. I think, I mean, the, the, his overall record as a coach, uh, I mean, I, I think it's the, pretty much the best record as a coach that anyone's had, you know, with his level of head coaching experience. And so I, I still believe Ryan Day is the right coach for Ohio State's program. I, I still believe that Ryan Day can win national championships at Ohio State. But, you know, certainly, you know, there, there are questions that are going to be asked. And certainly, you know, his, his seat is going to warm up with every one of these losses. I mean, the, the, you know, I think he was already feeling the pressure last year after losing to Michigan twice in a row. Now that's only going to be stronger after three losses in a row. And so, you know, it, it's certainly on him as the head coach to figure out what do we need to do as a program to start beating Michigan again. And there's a significant chance that, you know, as it pertains to next year in terms of day potentially being on the hot seat or whatever, there's a really good chance that this Michigan team takes a significant step back. They're going to lose a lot of seniors, graduates that they have on this roster right now. A good chance J.J. McCarthy goes pro. You know, as a former five-star prospect with a lot of good physical tools for the NFL, there's a lot of pieces they could lose from this team. And then throw on top of that potential 
NCAA sanctions that might come down from all the sign-stealing allegations, this is a program that, like I said, could take a significant step back next year. And you're at home on top of that next year for Ohio State. So uh, I'll be interested to see where Michigan is at coming into next season as it progresses coming into that game. But at the same time, a fourth loss in a row at home against a Michigan team that might be pretty much on the downswing, that would really start to raise the alarm bells in terms of, you know, Dave being on the hot seat, maybe looking other places. But, you know, of course, there's Ohio State's going to lose a lot of pieces from this year's team, too, in all likelihood. Uh, it's just you don't expect them to take as big of a step back because they've been able to replenish themselves with better recruiting classes in recent years um, than Michigan has had in the last couple of cycles. Now, uh, another thing I wanted to mention just about the game here well, uh, before we move on to complete big picture stuff, um, you know, there was nothing in this game really to take the heat off Parker Fleming. You know, we've talked about Ohio State special teams a lot in this on this show, he didn't have any blunders from his unit, major blunders that hurt Ohio State in big ways, you know, uh, like we've seen in other games. But uh, Jesse Mirko had his worst game as a Buckeye, uh, punting the ball. Talk about a couple of punts that only traveled, you know, they travel less than 35 yards in the air. Uh, just wasn't helping flip the field in a big way. And there wasn't any special teams play that you can point to as a huge positive outcome for Ohio State. It was all pretty run of the mill. You know, you, you don't expect fielding to hit a 52 yard field goal, as I said before. So, you know, not going to pin that on Fleming at all. But when you talk about and as we're going to shift the discussion later to what does this mean going forward for Ohio State? Uh, he's someone that you kind of have to evaluate after this season and look at um, mostly for his performance in other games, how his units have performed in other games, but didn't do anything really to help his case in this one. Yeah, I mean, we're through a regular season now, and I mean, can you name one big play Ohio State made on special teams this year? No. Right. So that's the problem. I mean, that's the problem is Ohio State's paying someone to be a special teams coordinator and Ohio State really hasn't made any game changing plays in that phase of a game all year long while there's been mistakes in that unit all year long. And so, uh, you know, I think I think certainly when you start thinking about potential staff changes, uh, I, I think that's probably the one that you look at as being the most likely change because. Uh, I just don't think that, you know, there, there's a whole lot you can point to to justify paying Parker Fleming to be your full-time special teams coordinator. I, I think that's just the reality at this point. I think, you know, you know as a lot of people felt that coming out of last season, we've had a full regular season now to, you know, evaluate, you know, because I always kind of had it in the back of my mind of like, you know, maybe they're saving something up for Michigan. You know, maybe there's a big play on special teams and something they don't want to show uh, that they, they're, you know, going to be able to break out against Michigan. But that didn't happen, you know, and, and there might not, you know, unless Ohio State backs into the CFP, like there's not really another opportunity this year to change any narratives. You know, that's just, that's just the reality that, you know, if Ohio State finishes its season by playing 
in the Orange Bowl against Louisville. I mean, sure, a win would be nice, but it's not going to change the narratives of this season. It just isn't. And so uh, I, I think, you know, certainly, you know, special teams, you know, in general, have just been an underperforming unit all year long. And, and like you said, I don't think this game did much of anything to change that. Going back to the point of next year, you know, I think the one other thing to add to that conversation is the reality that next year, this this game is going to feel a little different. It just is. It doesn't make it any less important for Ohio State to win this game. But the reality is, if this was next year, this conversation would not have this negative tone in the same degree to what we're having right now. Because if this was next year, Ohio State would potentially be playing Michigan again this week. I don't I don't say that as automatic because you got to remember that four more teams are joining the conference next year and and one of those teams is undefeated right now and another one's going to be playing it in the Pac-12 championship game. So it's not a given that, you know, if both of these teams are going to go in and play each other uh, back-to-back weeks in the future. But, you know, if you just take the teams that were currently in the Big Ten in this scenario, Ohio State would be playing Michigan again this week in the Big Ten championship game. And even if it wasn't, Ohio State would still be in the college football playoff. And realistically, like if if we were talking about you, you mentioned the game being at Ohio Stadium next year. If we were talking about Ohio State and Michigan playing again right now in a neutral site field, I think we'd give Ohio State a decent chance to win the game because they only lost by six points. They were driving in the final minute to potentially win the game. And so I think, you know, I think you made the comment, you know, we were just talking the other day that, you know, if Ohio State and Michigan played 10 times right now, you'd probably take Ohio State to win four, four of those 10 games. Now that, that doesn't, you know, fix anything. That's, that's not good enough. You know, you, you, you'd want them to be winning at least five of those games and uh, right now the only thing that really matters is you want them to win the one game that you actually played but I do think you know it's, it's just reality that you know this this game we knew going into this year's game that it was going to be the make or break be all end all kind of game for Ohio State season next year I'm not sure it's it's going to feel that way to the people who feel really strongly about the rivalry. And so it's, it's, again, I'm not trying to take anything away from the importance of beating Michigan, but it's just going to be framed a little differently. If, you know, if Ohio state loses to Michigan, but you know, they still have a chance to win the national championship, you know, that's going to, you know, paint this game a little differently. And quite honestly, I think that might actually help Brian day because I think, you know, part of him getting so tight in this game is knowing that if we lose this game, there go all the goals that we talked about. I think if he can go into this game next year, knowing that, you know, it's the most important game, this is the game we have to win, but it's just about this game. It's not about whether we make the college football playoff. It's just about winning this game. If he can, if he and the players can have that mindset going into next year's game rather than thinking about it as, you know, a de facto college football playoff game, maybe that leads to better results. Maybe, um, you know, I think that obviously we talked about he's coached conservative at points in these games. 
The flip side of that is, you know, with everything on the line against Georgia and how big that game was last year, you wonder if there was as much stake on that. Obviously, Ohio State's the underdog there, so maybe you're playing with a little, you know, with less to lose in that one. Uh, you know, you beat Georgia, obviously it rewrites a lot of the narratives of last season and they, there's a good chance they go on to beat TCU and win the national championship. You saw how badly Georgia beat TCU in that national championship game, but you know, kind of shifting back to some of the things for next year outside Parker Fleming, really the only, there's not a lot of coaching staff changes that you necessarily look to make from this Ohio State team. I think obviously the defense played very well throughout the season, was really just a few plays short against Michigan. You're not looking on at any major defensive staff changes. You know, none really even stick out other than maybe if Parker Fleming ends up, you know, not being a coach at Ohio State next year, do you consider eliminating the special teams coordinator position? and elevating James Laurinaitis to be your full-time linebackers coach. And now you have Jim Knowles able to step back and take more of a big-picture role as it pertains to the defense. Laurinaitis handles linebacker development, and I think it's clear that Laurinaitis is a better going to be a better recruiter uh, than Jim Knowles is at the position. Uh, Knowles has never shown you know, as much fervor for recruiting as certain other coaches have. On the offensive side, uh, again, you know, you have obviously Hartline is going to continue to be your offense coordinator and receivers coach if he, you know, doesn't get poached uh, in some way next year. Not that there's been any indication of that as it stands. Really, the one that you evaluate is Justin Fry on the offensive line. Uh, you just look at the way that the offensive line didn't meet that consistency, that standard that you were looking for all year from them. Obviously, it was a largely rebuilding year from the offensive line. Um, and I, for me, I don't think Fry. I don't think they should move on for Fry from Fry just yet necessarily, but maybe at least look at how things could be done differently, and specifically how they could maybe attack the transfer portal. Even though you're going to return. Almost certainly three of the five guys from this year's line and probably maybe four. Maybe Donovan comes back. Matthew Jones is out of eligibility. Maybe look to upgrade in the portal and get some more talent up front, some horses to run with because he did. Uh, I thought he did a solid job last year. Um, and obviously, you had first round pick at left tackle with Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones was an All-American uh, from certain outlets at right tackle. And uh, th that was a really complete line. Luke Whipler was a really solid center. You just never saw the O-line this year, though, take the step it needed on a consistent basis. They ran the ball better down the stretch. They did. But it just wasn't ever at the consistency that you needed. So those are kind of the two outside. You know, we already talked about Parker Fleming. Those are kind of the two things you look at in terms of coaching staff adjustments, assuming no one gets hired away from you that, you know, I would look to for Ohio State as, as potential changes. Yeah, I mean, I, I would not expect unless Justin Fry gets the head coaching job at Indiana, which doesn't seem super likely because it does seem like Indiana is looking for a more experienced head coach. But, you know, I would I would expect Justin Fry to be back on the staff next year. Uh, there's always the possibility of, you know, other changes 
Um, you know, there's always the possibility of, again, somebody, you know, moving on to a bigger job. I mean, I know, you know, there's been some chatter this week that, you know, Duke could be interested in Jim Knowles as its head coach, considering he uh, used to be the defensive coordinator there. So, um, you know, you never know what can happen here over the next few weeks as this whole, you know, coaching carousel starts to spin. But, you know, I, I don't, like you said, I mean, I, I, I would be a little bit surprised if, uh, they kept status quo of special teams. I, I do think that, you know, if they move on from Parker Fleming or really if anybody, you know, moves on from the staff, I, I do think the the first move that I would make is to promote James Laurinaitis to the full-time staff because, I mean, he's already the probably the highest paid GA in the country. Um, he's He's somebody who's going to get a full-time job sooner or later. And so if you want to keep him around, you have to make room for him on your 10-man staff. And so I do think he would be the first in line for a promotion. Uh, you know, certainly I think, you know, you could look at, you know, on the offensive side of a ball, you could consider, you know, do we need another veteran voice on that side of a ball? Because I, I do think, you know, one thing we really haven't talked about all year that I think maybe has maybe was overlooked a little bit more than it should have been was the impact of losing Kevin Wilson. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, you look at the, the offense not performing up to the same level that it had in days past years. Well, Kevin Wilson was on staff as offensive coordinator for all those years too. And so I, I think that's maybe the one thing you would consider is, you know, should, should Ryan day be looking for another veteran voice uh, to add to that staff and maybe even take some of a play calling responsibility off his plate. Because, you know, while, you know, Brian Hartline's going to continue to have a prominent role on the staff unless somebody hires him away, didn't seem like they trusted Hartline to take over play calling responsibility this year. And so, would there be logic in bringing in, you know, a co offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks coach to, take on a more prominent role on the offensive staff and assist with play calling. I'm not saying I necessarily predict that's going to happen, but I, I do think it's something that if you're Ryan Day, maybe you consider it when your offensive performance and your, your quarterback play this year weren't up to the same standards that they had been in your previous seasons at Ohio State. Right. And you know, that's something that um, our Analyst in 11 Warriors, Kyle Jones, has said that one of the biggest things he wants Ohio State to do is go out and get a veteran uh, quarterback developer with experience developing the position at the NFL or collegiate level, you know, because he, he thinks that's something that could upgrade how things played out this year as Day stepped back a little bit to take more of a CEO role, it did feel like at times, maybe mechanically, and we constantly heard Day talking about Kyle McCord's feet, right? It's like maybe mechanically, he wasn't getting as much development and growth working more with Corey Dennis in a capacity as he was with Ryan Day, maybe in previous years, Ryan working hands-on with the quarterbacks and not stepping back to be a little more big picture. Now, obviously, again, some of that could just be, hey, CJ Stroud, Justin Fields were special talents. They were more natural to develop because of those things, and maybe it's not as much on the coaching side 
when you talk about McCord's consistency and just some of the things that hurt him during this season, amongst some really good play, too. But it is something that you feel like could benefit Ohio State, like you said. Go get another veteran voice for the room and maybe a guy who has had experience developing quarterbacks. You know, it is still the most important position in football. Speaking of quarterbacks, though, not expecting, I don't think you or I expect Ohio State to pursue a quarterback from the transfer portal, but there's a lot of interesting turbulence that could happen at that position come next offseason in terms of do you open the competition back up? Um, I think you should. I know you think they should. You talk about Kyle never really stamped his flag in the ground and said, this is my job moving forward this year. You had to ride with him all year, but it's not like Ohio State quarterbacks of the past where this guy's a surefire can't miss first rounder and you, you're you not going to not start in the following season when you have other guys coming in or already in the program who are already of that talent level. So obviously Devin Brown who completed with Kyle with Kyle for the job this year. He'll have his say. I really like Lincoln Keenholz a lot. I feel like he's a gamer, a winner. Three sports superstar in South Dakota. Someone I think that you know fans really want to see as well. But then you have Air Nolan coming in as a freshman too. And Air is a special talent. Uh, lefty with fantastic ball placement. His tape kind of reminded me of CJ a little bit. You know, I, I, I try to stay away from comparisons sometimes like that, but it did. Not just how he's able to drop the ball in and really place it in spots. He's, his stock has only risen. Uh, he's gained five-star status since Ohio State first landed his commitment. So uh, a lot of those are three names there that could all compete with McCord this offseason for the job. And, you know, um, as it pertains to air, it's tough for a freshman to come in and compete right away. But, hey, he's going to be there in the spring. He'll get that extra you know, a couple weeks of development there. And maybe that does, if he's a really fast learner, allow him to get involved in that quarterback competition too. So, uh, I mean, Dan, do you expect Ohio State to open it up? And uh, what do you think of, of the names there that could compete with Kyle McCord? Yeah, I expect Ohio State to open it up. I mean, I, I would still say that, you know, if I was setting odds on who would be the starter next year, I would have Kyle McCord as the front runner because he has a year of starting experience. He will be the incumbent quarterback. But I do think that, you know, Ohio State should open it up for competition in the spring. Let all three of those other guys uh, show what they can do and, you know, see if someone can beat them out, you know, and I, I don't, you know, like you said, I, I think Air winning the starting quarterback job as a true freshman would be a long shot. I don't rule out the possibility that either Devin or Lincoln could beat out Kyle. You know, I think some fans that I've seen have maybe started to write off Devin because he didn't look that great when he got opportunities to play this year. But I mean, he 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 didn't start any games. I mean, a lot of the times he came in, he was just kind of getting thrown into the game. And so I don't really think we've seen enough of Devin to really be able to evaluate. Devin at this point, I, I think that, you know, he's going to have another year of experience under his belt. And I think he still has great tools. And so I still think, you know, with Devin having another year, you know, that could potentially allow him to, you know, push for that starting job in a way that he wasn't ready to 
this year. Like you said with Lincoln, I mean, he hasn't even gone through a, a spring yet, but there does seem to be a lot of excitement about him. So I don't rule out the possibility that he could emerge as Ohio State's top quarterback next year. And, you know, then again, just, you know, circling back to Kyle, you know, look at just look at the the three quarterbacks who are going to finish in the top three of the Heisman race right now. Jaden Daniels, Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr. But those are three guys who are veterans who were nowhere near as good when they start when they were first college quarter college starting quarterbacks as they are now when they're the three best quarterbacks in the country. Now, some people might look at that and say, well, look, those are all free transfers. That that shows you right there we should go get a transfer quarterback. But the way I look at it is more don't give up on a guy just because he didn't quite play up to the standard in year one. And I think Kyle, I mean, Kyle McCord was not awful this year. He he was not CJ Stroud. He was not Justin Fields. He was not Dwayne Haskins. And it it is absolutely fair to expect him to get to that standard. And if he is if he doesn't rise to that standard, then there should be an expectation that someone else will replace him as Ohio State starting quarterback. But you know, I I I would still expect that with another year of experience, Kyle will be better next year. The question is how much better, and is that better a enough for Ohio State to achieve its goals, and b is it better enough that he would actually be the best quarterback on the team? But those questions I don't know the answer to, but I, I do think that you know you should open up the competition. Uh, in in the spring, I I just don't think Ohio State's going to bring in a transfer quarterback un- unless you have some unexpected attrition there. Because you know, otherwise, I mean, if you're a Devin Brown, like why would you stick around if they bring in a a transfer? So I I don't expect Ohio State to bring in a transfer quarterback. I I do expect Ohio State to bring in some transfers at other positions. Uh, like you said, offensive line, I think, is an obvious area to look at, even though Ohio State could have four returning starters on the offensive line. They should still be looking at transfer options because, you know, like you said before, the play up front just wasn't consistent enough this year to simply be satisfied with the status quo. And so I do think offensive line is a position where we could see Ohio State look to the portal. Uh, I think, you know, defensive line is another position. You know, some of that could depend on NFL draft decisions. But I mean, there's a there's a possibility you could lose your entire starting defensive line with JT Tuomolowau, Jack Sawyer, Tyleek Williams and Mike Hall all being draft eligible. So if they lose two or three of those guys, I, I think there would be reason to uh, potentially look for a veteran or two in the portal who can come in and contribute there next year. They've got they've got some promising talent rising up the ranks there too, but you also look at that Michigan game. You know, one thing we didn't talk about before, but JT Tuomolo played every snap of a game on defense. Jack Sawyer and Tyleek Williams each played all but three snaps on defense. And they looked pretty gassed at the end of the game. And so it certainly didn't seem like Ohio State trusted its defensive line depth this year the way that it did in past years. And that's one reason why I would say if they're going to lose some of those starters, I think, you know, there's a likelihood that Ohio State will look to add some more talent at that position via the transfer portal. Several other positions that make could make sense, too. I know there's already been some chatter about, you know, Ohio State might want to look for a linebacker in the transfer portal. You know, Tommy Eichenberg, Steel Chambers are 
probably gone and there's a chance Cody Simon could be too. And so, you know, they could be looking for a veteran there, though I, I, I suspect a lot of our listeners would probably like to see, you know, CJ Hicks play more next year, Gabe Powers play more next year. So we'll see how that all plays out. Uh, Safety is another position that I think uh, potentially could be, you know, a spot for a transfer. You know, they're going to lose. Josh Proctor, they're probably going to lose Leif and Ransom. You know, you expect Sonny Styles to be a starter next year. Uh, Malik Hartford could potentially be a starter. Jihad Carter could potentially be a starter. But, you know, we also know they want to move Sonny Styles around. And if they want to do that, you really need another starting caliber safety so that you can do that. And so, uh, you know, I think, you know, safety, if the right guy is in the portal, is one you could look at. And I think tight end as well. You look at Cade Stover. Uh, probably leaving after this year. G. Scott Jr. was really the only other tight end who played this season. I think, you know, we both think highly of Jelani Thurman's upside and won't be surprised if he has a breakout year next year. But I, I still think the depth there is questionable. And I think particularly in run blocking, I think they could use someone if, if you can get a veteran tight end who already has a, a track record of being a strong run blocker. I think that could certainly be a valuable addition. All those would be good ads. Great thoughts on the quarterback uh, competition there too, Dan. I, you know, that's obviously for next season. And I think it's fitting that we focus so much on next season and what this Michigan game has meant for next season and the implications of everything for next season and issues Ohio State needs to address for next season, all these issues for next season. And we haven't really even focused on who Ohio State's opponent likely is, likely is at the, you know, for their next game, their final game this season, likely a placement in the Orange Bowl against Louisville. Uh, not exactly a game that piques your interest if you're a fan, if you're someone who covers the team. Two lost Louisville, uh, just lost to Kentucky. Uh, the Orange Bowl is contractually obligated to take the ACC champ or highest ranked ACC team not in the college football playoff and the highest ranked Big Ten team or SEC team not in the college football playoff. Uh, that's why this matchup looks very likely to happen. If Ohio State doesn't sneak into the college football playoff because if Louisville loses to Florida State, then they will be the highest ranked ACC team not in the college football playoff, likely. Florida State makes it in that scenario. If Florida State loses to Louisville, if Louisville pulls off the upset, well, two loss Louisville probably isn't getting in the playoff. And so then they go to the Orange Bowl as ACC champ. And then the highest ranked Big Ten or SEC team not in the college football playoff is likely to be Ohio State, who still sits sixth in the AP and coaches polls as we're recording this uh, after losing to Michigan. So that's why that scenario seems very likely if Ohio State doesn't backdoor into the college football playoffs. And it's likely that we see a bunch of out opt-outs in the game, Dan, for some of Ohio State's biggest stars that have high NFL draft stocks. Obviously, Marvin Harrison Jr. would be a prime candidate for that, a guy who's probably going to get picked in the top 10, even higher potentially in the I'd NFL top draft. Three. Top three, yeah. It's, he's one of the biggest NFL receiving prospects in a while. Emeka Buka. Abuka would be another uh, candidate outside of that in the same receiving core. Uh, his stock didn't get as high as it could have just because of his injury concerns this year, but still a, you know, a guy who's going to test well, a guy who is still likely at the worst around two guy 
Uh, and that's at the worst. Travion Henderson obviously has a fantastic upside for the NFL level. Denzel Burke uh, his, has made a very nice improvement for his draft stock this season. So those are all prime candidates to opt out, though no one has said that they will opt out or enter the NFL draft yet. And so, Dan, I, I guess, are, are is that the complete list, or is, are there more that you think could opt out of this game? Well, I mean, there's, a, I mean, it's not a complete list. I mean, there's, there's a lot of guys who are potentially in the NFL draft next year. I mean, you have, you know, guys that, you know, maybe they're dealing with injuries. So, you know, I think back to when it was the Rose Bowl two years ago, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson were kind of the obvious candidates to opt out and they did. But then you also had uh, Nicholas Petit Frere and Haskell Garrett who were less obvious candidates to do that. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, we'll see on that. I mean, most likely. I wouldn't expect any announcements on that even next week because, you know, those announcements didn't come until the week of the Rose Bowl two years ago. And so I think it's probably likely that, you know, the guys who do that, you know, again, you don't know, but it's probably more likely that if, you know, if they decide to do that, they'd probably wait until closer to, you know, it's time for the team to actually head to the bowl game uh, before you know, any announcements are made on that. But, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why if it ends up being the Orange Bowl against Louisville, that it's going to be hard for some Ohio State fans to get up for that game because, you know, they're probably not going to have all of their stars playing in the game. And they're going to be playing against a, a, a team in that hypothetical matchup that quite frankly you know, is not the most exciting matchup for Ohio State. You know, if it if it worked out that Ohio State was playing in a New Year's Six game with a Alabama, you know, I think that's a game that people would have more interest in because you know, yeah, it's not for a national championship, but you know, you're still playing a you know a a, a power program, a team with comparable talent. I mean, an Ohio State Louisville game, it's it's honestly a game that Ohio State should win comfortably even if it doesn't have all of its stars available. And so we'll get more into that next week when we actually know what game Ohio State is playing in because, you know, I, I, I know there's probably some people out there who just really don't care, you know, about, you know, a non-playoff ball game, but we're still going to cover it for the next few weeks because, uh, you know, the this, this season is still happening and, and we're still going to cover, uh, you know, whatever game Ohio State plays in the same way that, uh, we always would. And, you know, I think, you know, certainly there can be some interesting subplots in a game like that. You know, even if, if you do have opt-outs, then, you know, it, it creates an opportunity for, you know, some of the players that we haven't seen play as much this year uh, to, to play bigger roles in that game. And it'll be interesting to see if Ohio State ends up in that situation. You know, how does Ryan Day play it? You know, does he play it, you know, with, you know, the the guys who have played the most all year and just playing to try to win the game as comfortably as possible or does he use it as an opportunity to experiment a little bit more for next year we'll see on that we'll 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 talk more about that next week if it comes to that but you know Ohio State is still hoping to make the college football playoff and there is a scenario in which it happens now Ohio State needs I shouldn't even say it, it does happen. There's, there's no guaranteed path that Ohio State gets in the playoff, but there is a scenario in which Ohio State would have a, a realistic chance. I think when you look at what needs to happen, 
Oklahoma State needs to beat Texas and Louisville needs to beat Florida State. If, if those two things happen, then there will only be three Power Five conferences remaining with teams that have one loss or fewer. That would effectively eliminate the ACC and the Big 12. And then Ohio State would get into a debate with other one-loss teams. Now, on top of that, I think Georgia probably needs to beat Alabama because I think you know, Alabama with two losses is not going to make the CFP, but Georgia with one loss would probably make the CFP before Ohio State would. I, I also think, you know, Washington, Oregon has some significance here. Not everybody agrees with me on that. I mean, I look at it and I say, well, if, if, if Oregon beats Washington, they both have one loss. Washington would have one more win than Ohio State. And its only loss would be to an Oregon team that's in the CFP. Now, you know, I think the counterpoint to that is, you know, Ohio State before its loss to Michigan was ranked ahead of Washington. And so uh, the committee could certainly justify putting Ohio State in over Washington in that situation and, and say that it thinks Ohio State is the better team. I look at what happened last year with TCU when TCU was undefeated until it lost the Big 12 championship game. TCU still had a higher seed in the playoff as the free seed versus Ohio State as the four seed. And so that's one I think could go either way. Maybe Ohio State uh, needs Washington to beat Oregon. Maybe it doesn't. But either way, the odds for Ohio State would go up in a scenario where Washington beats Oregon on Friday night. And then, you know, I don't know if, you know, I mean, I think Michigan's going to beat Iowa. Like, I'd be very surprised if Michigan doesn't beat Iowa. But, you know, how much impact would that have? I mean, I think either way, Michigan's going to be ahead of Ohio State in the pecking order because Michigan beat Ohio State. But, you know, if you're Ohio State, if you, if you want help in a debate, you probably need Michigan to beat Iowa just so that your own resume doesn't take a hit. There's your scenarios, fans. Dan laid it out uh, in about as much detail as I could put it in. So, uh, you know, I, I, th I think that the debate between Ohio State and Washington would be very interesting if Oregon does end up beating Washington. As, frankly, I kind of picked to happen. Oregon has looked really good uh, down the stretch of this season. So I, I would not be shocked at all. Uh, the flip side of this, too, kind of, Real quick, outside the Ohio State perspective of this, there's a scenario that is now existing, too, that I've been thinking about. You know, you could have five Power Five champions all either undefeated or with one loss. If really, if chalk holds, if Texas wins, if Florida State wins, you know, you'd have Michigan, Georgia pretty much locks to be in. You'd have Texas, Florida State. Uh, Florida State would be undefeated too, and you'd have you know the Washington Oregon winner. So there, there's there's regardless of whether Ohio State gets into this discussion or not, there's a good chance that we have some uh, pretty interesting heated college football playoff debate last year of a four team bracket uh, here, Dan. Now, yeah, and, some that's, and that's why we're in this position with Ohio State because if if we're being honest, like before the year. I think if you would have told either of us, if Ohio State goes 11-1, will it be in the college football playoff? We probably would have said yes. But this is really the first year that it's ever been in this situation 
at least it could be in that situation where a potential conference champion with one loss or fewer well, I won't say fewer, the, the, the undefeated teams. I mean, if Florida State wins, it's going to be in. If Washington wins, it's going to be in. It's if, it's if you get into a debate of one-loss teams where it could potentially get interesting. And, I mean, and there, is, there is a scenario. There is a scenario. If Alabama beats Georgia and Texas wins and Florida State wins, it's possible the SEC gets left out. I, I don't know that I see it happening. I think it's maybe more likely that the committee would just screw Texas. But Texas beat Alabama. So there's a, there's a scenario if, if the committee chooses to prioritize head-to-head where if you have undefeated Michigan, undefeated Washington, undefeated Florida State, and one lost Texas with with Alabama beating Georgia and the SEC championship game, the committee is going to have a tough decision to make about whether the SEC even makes the playoff. One more dumb factor that's going to include into that, Dan, um, you know, that I, I hate the committee that sometimes they will put a lot of stake on injuries. Florida State's injury to Jordan Travis isn't something that I think if they beat Louisville should have impact their ability to get into the playoff, but we have seen injuries impact committee judgments in the past. So if you come down to a a doomsday scenario like that, Florida State is another that they might look to screw just because they don't have Jordan Travis anymore. And that would, I'd be heavily against that. But we, again, they, it wouldn't be the first time that they have lowered their view of a team just because a star player is hurt. Man, um, I, man, if 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 they leave out a thirteen and O team, I think even the most staunch defenders of a fourteen playoff might be ready for expansion. Yeah, that would be uh, like I said, it's a doomsday scenario. So this, I mean, kind of fun, you know, because we're not going to be out covering a game this weekend. We'll get to just sit back and watch all this chaos unfold, Dan. It's going to be great. Uh, you, the one last uh, thing as it pertains to Ohio State, you know, you put this number together, uh, uh, a the chaos that you mentioned that is likely the best path for Ohio State to get in, Georgia, Washington, Oklahoma State, Louisville, all winning, that parlay on FanDuel would be 66 to 1 odds. So if you if you bet $10 on that, you'd win 660. Uh, so that, that, that tells you the odds makers what they think uh, Ohio State CFP hopes sort of are. Um, yeah, if you if you believe that everything's going to come up Ohio State, go put go put ten dollars on that parlay because you could win a lot of money. But you'll let, let's 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 make our predictions here, Andy. Uh, I'll, I'll let you start. Who do you think wins each of the five conference championship games this weekend, and which four teams make the CFP? I have Louisville in an upset over Florida State. Um, that's my one chaos game. I think. Oregon beats Washington because I think Oregon's gotten better over the course of the year since those two teams played the first time. I really like how Dan Lanning handles that program. I think Bo Nix is going to cement a Heisman campaign in that game. And the winner of that game, the quarterback might win the Heisman, Dan. That's another interesting thing that's happening this weekend. So, you know, Bo Nix and Michael Penix being two of the leading candidates right now. So I have Louisville. I have Oregon. I have Texas holding on against Oklahoma State, and I have Georgia beating Alabama. So that would make my 14 playoff then Georgia, Michigan, 
Texas, and Oregon. Man, you, you, you just didn't even make a prediction. You, it's just assumed that Michigan's going to beat Iowa. You don't even need to make a prediction. You just <laughs> no, nah, we're good. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I mean, uh, I, I, I'd have to agree with you. I did not have much faith in the fighting Brian Ferences to pull off the upset over Michigan. I think that is going to be a snoozer of a game in which Michigan will win comfortably. I agree with you on four of a five. I've, I, I think Georgia is going to hold on against Alabama, but I think that's going to be a really good game. Uh, I think Texas is going to uh, beat Oklahoma State. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of Ohio State fans tuned in in Columbus hoping to see uh, Quinn Ewers struggle in an upset loss, but Oklahoma State has not been playing great. I think Texas is the better all-around team, and so I think I think Texas will beat Oklahoma State, and if and if that happens, that's going to pretty much kill Ohio State's uh, college football playoff hopes. I think if Oklahoma State if Oklahoma State pulls off the upset, then I think we're going to start talking because I'm with you. I, I I think Louisville beats Florida State because of Florida State not having its quarterback. I think you know Florida State struggled last week against Florida without its quarterback. I I think. I'm going to agree with you on that one and have Louisville pulling off the upset, which which will make life easier on the committee if that happens, because if all those things happen, then it's Georgia, Michigan, the Pac-12 champ and Texas rounding out the top four. But I am going to disagree with you on a Pac-12 championship game, as we've talked about since before the season. I had Washington in my college football playoff picks before the year. I actually, I had Georgia, Michigan, Washington, and Ohio State. And so don't feel great about my chances of hitting Ohio State there, but I'm going to stick with my preseason prediction on that one. And I'm going to say Washington beats Oregon again and makes for college football playoff. I would expect nothing less. And you know, we, we all know how likely it is that my prediction of Clemson making the playoff is right now. So uh, I, I think uh, probably warranted on your part. Uh, we're, we're running. We, we, we've, this has been a nice long podcast here. Before we go, we should talk, talk about, about. Yes. Lots to talk about off of a Michigan loss like this. Ending things on a positive note for Ohio State. Basketball. Basketball. Ohio State's basketball team has been doing very good things. Uh, this weekend, they won the Emerald Coast Classic in Niceville, Florida, their Raider Arena, picking up two impressive victories in the process. process. Um, really, two of victories that were impressive in their own rights. You know, Alabama entered that game with the number one offense in college basketball, both in points per game and in efficiency, and they are still number one in points per game and efficiency. Ohio State outpaced them, basically. It was a... Uh, an 11 point win for the Buckeyes in which they scored over 90 points career highs from both Bruce Thornton and Roddy Gale. And that backcourt is really starting to look like it's going to be one of the best in the big 10 this year. Bruce and Roddy have been putting up numbers all season and, you know, Despite the fact they're sophomores, Bruce has a lot of experience from last year. Roddy got some great experience in the Big Ten tournament and has really seen that momentum carry over and again now surpassed his career high that he set in that Big Ten tournament. Uh, And they have a fantastic chemistry together, Dan. I think it's about every game we see an alley-oop from Bruce to Roddy, you know? They, they've talked about how much that chemistry has developed. Uh, some other key pieces took steps over the weekend. But then after that, to win the Emerald Coast Classic, it wasn't a surprise that Ohio State beat Santa Clara. 
Santa Clara is, you know, they're a mid-major program, but a quality mid-major. Entered that game undefeated, had just beaten Oregon, beat Stanford earlier in the year, so a couple of Power 5 wins. And Ohio State made them look like they were a D2 team. I mean, it was 86-56, offensive outpouring. And so really, this tournament kind of sets the expectations now that this could be a, a pretty good bounce back year for Chris Holtman's bunch. Now we've seen them have really good Novembers only to lose that momentum in January and February before, but still a lot of positive signs. And I don't think you can use the past to fully write off what we saw this weekend, Dan. No, I agree. I, I know I joke with you sometimes about, oh, this is, you know, this is for uh, annual, you know, get, get, get your hopes up when just for the inevitable collapse in, in January, February. But I, I, I know there's a lot of listeners out there who probably think the same thing. So, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think, you know, first and foremost, if we just focus on what happened this past weekend, uh, very, very impressive for Ohio State uh, to go in there. Beat, beat Alabama, a team that you know is is legitimately one of the best offensive teams in the country, and for Ohio State to be able to outscore it, outperform it the way it did, I think that was certainly a statement win for Ohio State. And then to follow it up the next day uh, with another great performance, uh, that's certainly impressive too. And like like you said, I think the big thing that I think gives you c- real confidence about this team right now is that Bruce Fortin, Roddy Gale combination. Because, you know, we did our draft a few weeks ago before the season. You know, you took Bruce Fortin, number one. I took Roddy Gale, number two. These are the two guys we expected to be the star players for this team this year. We knew this team was going to go as those guys go. And right now, you know, we're seeing where they are looking like two of the best guards in the Big Ten. And if they can continue to play at that level, then this team does have potential. Because, you know, we, we, we've talked about it before, you know, when it comes to college basketball these days, it's so much of it comes down to guard play. You know, people always want the big center, you know, in the big 10, but when it comes to winning in March, so much of it comes down to having effective guard play and, and the way Bruce and Roddy are playing right now. And it's not just on the offensive end. These are guys who give them a lot on the defensive end too. I, I think the way that those two are playing and leading this backcourt, I think that's the biggest thing that, that gives you confidence that, you know, this isn't just a, a November flash in a pan. This can be real. Uh, for this team. And it's not just those guys too. You know, Jamison Battle had a really good game against Santa Clara. He's been a little bit up and down uh, so far at Ohio State. But, you know, compared to a lot of the other transfer additions, we, we've seen oh, oh, Chris Holtman not have a ton of success with bringing in transfers at Ohio State. So far, Jamison Battle is looking like one of the best transfer additions that he's had so far. And actually, really, that that whole group of transfers so far is off to a much better start than we've seen from Ohio State's past transfer classes. Because, you know, Dale Bonner started off slow, but you look at uh, the the last few games that he's had, he scored 11 points, 9 points, and 11 points while shooting 8 of 12 from three-point range. He's a guy who's starting to show that he can bring a little bit more offensively than he did at his previous stop of Baylor and then Evan Mahaffey's a guy who's played a lot too and has given them some good things on the defensive end and so 
you know, I think I, I think they've got a pretty solid core that's coming together here. They've got nine or ten guys that they have in the rotation here. And I think the fact that Bruce and Roddy are starting to take that next step now to where they're going from, you know, being promising freshmen to now being star sophomores. If they can keep that up and give Ohio State, you know, two legitimate leading men on this team with a solid group of role players around them then I, I do think that, that this team has the potential to make some noise. I agree, Dan. And, you know, it's another thing with Dale that Holtman has talked about is his defense is getting better. His role off the bench is so critical because after Bruce and Roddy, Ohio State's kind of short on ball handlers. So seeing Dale get his offense going, get his defense going, get his passing going, making plays is is a very crucial development for this offense and something else with Evan you know in addition to what he's shown you on the defensive side and the versatility that he has with his length he ha- handled the ball in some key situations down the stretch against Alabama we were watching that game and he was one of Ohio State's go-to ball handlers to break the press against Alabama uh, down the stretch of that game which was a very interesting thing to to watch and a very interesting development. Another guy whose development is probably the most important now that you kind of have that firm foundation set with Bruce and Roddy. Beyond those two, Felix Akpara might be the most important player on this team in terms of getting where it needs to go because they are still going to have to guard those big physical centers in the Big Ten. And while Felix had shown it on the defensive end throughout the year, blocking shots, his rebounding left a lot a lot to be desired in Ohio State's first three games. Averaged less than three boards a game. Had boards slipping through his hands. Failed to box out on some plays. Just really didn't show what they needed to see from him on the glass. Last three games, he's had 28 combined rebounds. 11, 10, and 7. He's taken a step forward on the glass. Now he's got to maintain that pace. You really want to see him averaging around like in the range of almost 10 a game, right? You want to see him maintain those numbers throughout the season, but it's a really good sign because it's his rebounding is something Ohio state needs. If it's to prevent the second chance points that hurt it, you know, almost cost it against Oakland hurt him real bad against Texas A&M hurt him a lot last year. They need him to be producing on the glass. And even, you know, Holtman talked today about, or it'll be yesterday as people are hearing this about everybody crashing the glass. He he wants to see more rebounding from Bruce too. So rebounding is an area this team needs to continue improving at, but their offense has looked really strong of late and the backcourt Bruce and Roddy, if they maintain this level of play, it's going to give them a chance in any game because that's how college basketball functions nowadays. Like you said, it's about guard play first and foremost then if you get the development you want out of Felix, this this is a team that could actually really make some postseason runs here. Both Ohio State basketball teams 5-1 and one to start the season. Women currently ranked 16th. Men not quite ranked yet, but if they can uh, keep up with this trajectory, you know, maybe that changes uh, here in the next week or two. Ohio State men's basketball playing again tonight at 7 p.m. against Central Michigan on Big Ten Network. And then opening up Big Ten play against Minnesota on Sunday, 6.30 p.m. also on Big Ten Network. Uh, while 
Alabama women have a big game on Sunday against uh, Tennessee. They'll they'll be looking for their first ranked win of a year after losing their season opener to USC, their only loss of the year so far. So plenty more basketball talk coming uh, for the next month, next few months here. I'm sure you know as football season starts to wind down, but lots of football talk uh, still coming here on Real Pod Wednesdays too. As next week, uh, we will know uh, what. Where and against who Ohio State will be finishing its season against. And so uh, we'll start diving into that matchup and everything else that uh, is happening in Ohio State sports on next week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. And we hope you'll join us then.